Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Rachel. And welcome to The Tim's Take, episode 57. A prime number. Nope. <laughs> That's how we're doing tonight, folks. Yeah, divisible by three, three times 19. Oh, there you go. Oh, it felt promising for a minute there. We both said, man, it feels like we have been running around all day, which is not true. We actually had a very relaxed morning with Oliver. We had a what you are calling a split feature. So we decided to watch a movie because it was kind of rainy and cold here. And so we started watching Cars, the movie. And Oliver got 45 minutes, an hour into it, which is pretty good. I mean, he just kind of sat and played a little bit and watched. And then he goes and turns the TV off (laughs) and he goes, Coco? (laughs) Because he is obsessed with the Disney movie, Coco. And so then we watch the second half of Coco. Yep. Split feature, not double feature. We didn't watch any one movie, but we did watch two different parts of different movies. Which is pretty good. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we still watched two movies. Yeah. No, it, not it, it was a movies, movies, but it was a very pleasant morning. I do feel like Cars was just reaching a more interesting part. Oh, as I know. I was, I was getting really <laughs> into it, but it doesn't quite have the musical flair that Coco does, which he is particularly into right now. Yeah. Yeah, the music. There's not as much music. No singing cars. No singing cars. Good soundtrack, I think, but no singing cars in that movie. Yeah. Hey, I didn't tell you this, but I'm bringing a poem to open up our episode here. Oh, well, lovely. It's sort of unofficial mailbag. Our friend, friend of the show, Lucas Lee, sent me this poem after listening to our most recent episode. He also sent me another potential resource for down the road, but oh, okay. We're gonna save that. But here's the poem. It is Do Not Ask Your Children to Strive by William Martin. I don't know where he found this, but here it is. Do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. Such striving may seem admirable, but it is the way of foolishness. Help them instead to find the wonder and the marvel of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes, apples, and pears. Show them how to cry when pets and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand, and make the ordinary come alive for them. The extraordinary will take care of itself. I love that. That's good, huh? Yeah, that inspires me. I'm like, wait, how do I do those things? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it strikes me that one of the things, reflecting back on our last conversation about that section from 4,000 Weeks, is all these things are being present. And practicing being present and teaching your kids to be present and not being oriented about, are you going to be the proper kind of grown up if, you know, I do X, Y, Z now? It is, oh, how does this taste? And yes, this is sad. And then letting some of those other pieces fall into place. So thanks, Lucas, for sharing the poem. Yeah, I really enjoy that. And actually kind of relates a little bit to our resource today. I think so. I was thinking the same thing. So funny you say that. Do you want to introduce the resource that you're bringing? Yeah. So I found this article that was featured on NPR and the title is called A Top Researcher Says It's Time to Rethink Our Entire Approach to Preschool. Now, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, Oliver is not in preschool yet. I am just now figuring out ages of when kids go to preschool, but he is not in preschool yet. But it is something 
I feel like that's kind of like lingering out there in the distance of like the next kind of big decision we have to make with him. Yeah. Okay. Which is far away. Yeah. He's probably, I think it's like three or four that kids typically go to preschool. But it's still something I just like feel like I obviously know nothing about. And, so, and I, know, I know even less. You at least went to preschool. I did at least go to preschool. You did not. I mean, my parents can ride in and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I went with any consistency to preschool. So it was an interesting article to me as we've kind of been talking about that. And she really focuses in on this study done with almost 3,000 children in Tennessee who applied to a free public pre-kindergarten program. And what the study found was that though these kids thrived in maybe the first year after their pre-kindergarten education, as they got older, this control group actually seemed to do worse in school. They had lower test scores, were more likely to get in trouble, have lots of suspensions, all sorts of things. And so she's kind of theorizing what went wrong and, you know, what is the benefit or the harm in at least public preschool education. Yeah, and we, sh- we should say two things. The, the author of the article is Anya Kamenetz, and then, but she is really interacting with a study done by this woman, Dale Farron. So there's kind of two women that we might be referring to as she yes, as we go through and talk. Yeah, yeah. And I think the thing that, as we were talking about this resource, was the most interesting to us was she has a section that she titles, Do Kids in Poverty Deserve the Same Teaching as Rich Kids? Because the study, as it was conducted, was on low-income Tennessee students. Yeah. And what she found was that often in these low-income public settings, there was a huge focus on, like, skill learning. So repetition on things, learning your letters, learning your numbers, teachers giving lectures, lots of having kids having to sit and then listen to an adult speak, where... She says, often higher income families are not choosing this kind of education. They tend to choose play-based preschool programs, which feature art, movement, music, nature, where children are encouraged to ask questions and then adults are kind of trained to listen to them. And I feel like there's been a big movement. I know a lot of people who have kind of pursued that play model. So it's just interesting to think through the different ways that that might impact Oliver and kind of the decisions and values we have as a family. You were sharing with me when we were chatting about this a little bit earlier, like just some of the realities of these kinds of play-based preschools are sometimes, well, they're rarely public contexts and sometimes they sort of require like great parental involvement or there's kind of complex application i feel like on tv i've seen these tropes of the preschool that everyone wants to get into that you have to apply to or you have to know someone or there's like a legacy student (laughs) at the preschool but just the fact that that excludes so many families where their parents need to be working or whatever the case might be i was like huh i hadn't thought about that because my first response i think to this article again kind of before maybe we moved to our family was just Oh, well, then the solution is to just have everyone do play-based, <laughs> play-based education. But the reality of kind of the structures that that requires and the ways that that's currently set up, I, it's way more complicated in terms of sort of 
like likely the number of kind of teacher to student ratios and all those things, right? So, yeah, and I think it kind of cuts to the heart of maybe what was challenging about this article was that I had the same reaction. Like I read this and thought, yes, in general, like everyone should move to play based, and then also specifically, like I want to put Oliver in a play based model like preschool if if it seems to be like these studies are showing like massive benefits for like that type of early education and in your defense that is actually the direction the article leads us she she says whoever this is about the researcher whoever thought you could provide a four-year-old from an impoverished family with five and a half hours a day nine months a year of preschool and close the achievement gap and send them to college at a higher rate she asks i mean why why do we put so much pressure on our pre-k programs we might actually get better results, she says, from simply letting little children play. So you're kind of led to that conclusion. I think yeah. it's very fair that you felt that way. I think, but then as we were kind of discussing, you know, the realities of some of that, we're like, okay, we're able to look at so many options because of our privilege and because of, yep. you know, the financial resources we have. And so just because we can put him in those programs, does it mean we should? Or should he be in the preschool down the street where all of his neighbor friends are going? And like what, like how do you make those choices? I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's this tension, right, between sort of wanting the best for your child and... You know, in this conversation, we're talking about in some ways, like contributing and being part of a more equitable world, <laughs> right? Where there's kind of more equal opportunities. And also, maybe a third tension is also not wanting to say, oh, well, you go to the one down the street because we can be some kind of savior family to really help that particular preschool. Because that also is hugely problematic and not the way we either want to raise Oliver or operate in any kind of environment as adults yeah. as adults so i feel like all of those lie in tension with each other if i don't know what do you think i mean it's a conundrum like i don't i don't have an answer and i think this is just the tip of the iceberg for us as we think about these oh for sure things but even something as seemingly simple as preschool it's like oh no like this has ramifications for us for our family like the connections we make like whatever school preschool you put Oliver in like potentially that's where you're making family connections so like yeah. are you going to oh, put him point. in a school where you only meet people who are like you and in the same economic situation the same race the same you know what cultural background or like are you going to put him somewhere that is potentially more challenging for us and for him but has opportunities for more diversity and and obviously it's not all that simple. I'm not saying that every environment he's in where people are different from him is necessarily more challenging. Sure. I mean, as as you say that, I'm just like, you're bringing up a number of things I hadn't necessarily thought about either in terms of, yeah, the connections he makes, the pe the friends that enter our lives, enter his life. Just strikes me again, the strangeness, well, I guess maybe highlighting one aspect of our privilege is how simple it is to go in autopilot on these things and just be like, oh, well, we want him to go to the best preschool. So 
our job is merely to work out what the best preschool is, <laughs> as opposed to considering the complexities and the, I mean, really you're asking, I think, systemic questions, which I think we want to be the kinds of people who ask those sorts of questions and what's impacting this. Like why isn't the best preschool quote unquote, whatever yeah. best might mean like the one down the street. And let's be clear. We haven't researched preschools down our street. No. We're not trying to slander our neighborhood preschools. But we're just we're theorizing just saying, like, what's accessible to everyone. Like what's accessible yeah. to our neighbors is, you know, is that the same? Like, does everyone have access to the preschool that, is doing this play-based model and right you know i think thinking about those things and i mean maybe the answer is sending him to like the school that's gonna help him be the best little human so that you know the next generation is thinking through things and you know yeah totally and i think you have to bridge this gap of not pushing that all on him and saying, well, if we send you to the right school, you're open to the right ideas, exposed to the right things, then like you can fix the problems of the world. I think we definitely need to shoulder that burden as well. Like, we need to be asking these questions and making sure like we're, yeah, thinking through. Yeah, I agree. There's not a bow to wrap on this conversation. No, it's it's a hard one. Which is fine. I do think this relates back to, you know, I've kind of been like, preschool? Why does he need to go to preschool? And I'm not against preschool. And I'm sure we'll go that route. But I think one of the things about preschool that I find so weird is it can be the beginning of abdicating your child's education. I think in my mind, it's just like, well, of course, like you're kind of teaching kid, your kids stuff until they go to kindergarten and they learn learn things. But then you should continue to be teaching them. And I think sometimes one of the reasons that I think we might be inclined to buy into sort of a ship him to the best is because we are sort of giving up our responsibility to teach and educate and help him ask questions and learn. And that's something that I'm like, I think I want to be more involved Mm. in that in such a way that if he's not like, I don't know, I just don't feel a lot of anxiety, especially where we live like, I mean, just overall, we're in such a, like, privileged place that I'm like, if if he's got, like, the 14th best, you know, teacher of first grade in the county, I'm like, come home and, like, you'll, you'll be getting a perfectly good classroom education. Yeah. And then we can have fun supplementing that in playful, fun ways at home. Um, not homeschooling. I, I don't have those qualifications, but, you know, like, just enabling some of those exploratory things maybe that's naive and it probably is but i do think for me some of that is if we're willing to take that responsibility back to ourselves as parents to some degree again not talking about homeschooling here that then opens up possibilities rather than if we're just like basically trying to export that to someone yeah i mean i think we we talk about this with our own kind of sense of calling and place in the world and struggling with like maybe our well you are a pastor but me as someone who is not in ministry I think struggled for a long time to feel like I'm spending so much of my week like not in a ministry environment Mm. not you know doing quote-unquote like the call of the gospel and not to say that that 
can't be, but it was never direct or explicit. Yeah. And so realizing like I had to supplement, I had to find that in other ways. And it's hard because it is such a large chunk of time. And I think that then becomes like the challenge of, you know, okay, if they go to school, if they go to preschool, like you're not with them for 20 hours a week or whatever. But I think there are still ways to do that if you are intentional about it. Yeah. I don't know if that's a weird comparison, but I do think it, I don't know. It helps me kind of think through how to do both. All right. Well, we didn't resolve anything, but I feel like this, this was a really helpful conversation, even though I felt like we were both maybe stumbling along because it plants seeds for kind of ideas and frameworks that we will return to. And I think that for me is really helpful to start to think through. So thanks. Yes, lots of fumbling, but well said. And the article itself and the research is super interesting if you want to look at the link in the show notes. We're going to wrap up with a rapid fire smooch Mary kill. Yep. Do you want to go first? Sure. I'm going to smooch this new game that we just played last night with some friends called Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. It's a deck building cooperative game, and we had so much fun that we went out to Target and bought it today. Nice. It's great. I'm going to marry these old train tracks that Oliver has been playing with that some friends gave us. Thank you, Antones. He is just in the building phase and loving them, and he spends so much time independently playing, and they're just the best. And then I'm going to kill Sippy Cups because he (laughs) just broke another Sippy Cup today, and good gracious, there's not one out there that doesn't leak or break or just be a mess, so we... Bought some new ones today, but I am not hopeful in the least. Wow, that was like so good, Rachel. <laughs> I should have I should have gone first. All right, I'm gonna smooch in a similar way. I kind of um, the meta version of yours, game nights with friends. I couldn't possibly marry these because I don't spend nearly enough time with them. But when I'm with them, I tend to enjoy them, and usually more than I expect. Is that how you feel about kissing me? Not really. <laughs> Well, you're you're both smooched and married, I guess. So it's a little complicated. I'm going to marry... I'm just going to move on because we're rapid fire. I'm going to marry Allbirds Shoes. I have three pairs of these shoes. I love them. I just got a new pair of their new Wool Pipers style, which are really nice. Uh, they're sustainable shoes. Great colors. They look great. They look good. They're they're fun. Allbirds, check them out. Finally, I'm going to kill mosquitoes. Oh, they're back. We have a lot around us. And when I walk outside, it's like there's, there's a sign that goes up that says, free carnival, please visit here. Oh. And they just come after me. And I get so many bites. And I hate them. And I don't care if they play a role in the evolutionary food chain. And I don't think they do. I'd be happy for them all to go away. They're already bad. Yeah. All right. That's it. That's it. That was a pretty good rapid fire. I'm proud of us. Yeah. Thanks for listening, as always. Write us in, timstake at gmail.com. We know there's uh, parents who have kids who are way ahead of Oliver. We'd genuinely be really appreciate hearing how you've thought through some of these tensions uh, of caring well for your kids and opportunities for them. And also, yeah, tensions of not everyone having those opportunities. All right, till next time. I'm Matt. I'm Rachel. And that is your Tim's Take.